Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is a portion of our second reading from Ephesians chapter 3. And I'll remind you of these words. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. This is the word of our God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Top 10 lists are really popular at this time of year, around the new year. The top 10 movies of 2019, the top 10 songs, the top 10 TV shows, the top 10 news stories. Another popular list is the top 10 wealthiest people of 2019. At the top of that list, once again, is Amazon founder and CEO Jeff Bezos. According to Forbes magazine's list of the richest people, he is worth $116 billion at the moment. To help you understand how much money that is, if you had $1 billion and you had a year to spend it, you would have to spend something like $2.7 million plus dollars each and every day of the year. Now, I think most of us would like the chance to try, but, but that is an unbelievable amount of money. None of you here today has that kind of cash. I'm quite certain of that. But in another sense, my friends, as I look at you today, I can say you are among the richest people in the world. Now, I'm not talking about bank accounts and portfolios. I'm not talking about dollars and cents. I'm talking about spiritual riches, riches beyond price, the forgiveness of every last one of your sins, a brand new life of peace and power and prayer and purpose and the assurance of eternal life waiting for you in heaven. Your accounts are just bursting with this kind of wealth. And today, as we celebrate the epiphany of our Lord and on the basis of his word before us today, I want to encourage you to share that wealth, that spiritual wealth that is yours in Christ. Let's consider two facts. Fact number one, you are in Christ rich beyond imagination. In fact, number two, you have spiritual wealth to share. Epiphany is sometimes called the Gentile Christmas. The visit of those Gentile wise men reminds us that Jesus did not just come to save the Jews, but those from every nation, tribe, people, and language. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul famously wrote these words, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Jews and Gentiles, Jesus came to save all people. Now, today, we just kind of take this for granted. It's just normal for us. Uh, we take for granted that Jews and Gentiles could be brothers and sisters in the same Christian congregation. But this was not always the case. The early church, when it first started, was largely made up of Jews and only later on began to add Gentiles. And this was a pretty big deal because the idea of Jews and Gentiles being together in one spiritual family was just unheard of crazy. For centuries, there had been this barrier that existed between those two groups. But God decided he was going to break down that barrier. 
And he chose the Apostle Paul as his instrument to do that. It was a good choice. Paul was well equipped to be God's missionary, to break down that barrier, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul was a Jew, but he was born in a city called Tarsus in Cilicia, which is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, In that city, the Apostle Paul was a very faithful Jew, but the city itself was not just Jewish people. In fact, the city was a large city, 500,000 people, some estimate, built right next to a, a, a trade route that brought all kinds of people from all over the place. So in that city, uh, one could see Egyptians and Ethiopians walking beside Arabs and Greeks and Romans and Spaniards. Paul grew up in this cosmopolitan atmosphere. Now again, he was a Jew and a very dedicated Jew, but he knew what Gentiles were like. Perhaps Paul's greatest asset for ministry to the Gentiles was his God-given humility. And I say God-given because, well, like the rest of us, Paul didn't come by his humility naturally. He had been at one time a violent persecutor of God's church. He was a tremendous promoter of the Jewish way of life, of the, of the religion of Judaism. He called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he was quite arrogant in everything that he did. But God humbled him. He made Paul, first of all, realize just how terribly wrong he had been to attack God's own church. He showed him that he wasn't as perfect as he thought he was. He made Paul realize that there was no way he was going to get into God's good graces by what he did by keeping the laws of Moses. He revealed to this very proud man, this Hebrew of Hebrews, that like the rest of us, he was a poor sinner in dire need of a Savior. Paul never forgot that lesson. This man who had just tremendous gifts always also had a very deep humility. In our text, Paul calls himself less than the least of all the Lord's people. Paul knew that he was a sinner who deserved nothing from his God but an eternity in hell. He realized again that, like us, he was a poor spiritual beggar. You know, sometimes I think that Americans don't know the meaning of the word poor. Uh, America is still uh, one of the richest countries in the world, one of the highest standards of living that mankind has ever seen. Let me just share a few facts with you. And I share these facts with a little bit of trepidation because numbers can always be made to say whatever you want them to say. But I did some research uh, about incomes compared from America and the world. After adjusting for cost of living differences, the average American still earns an income that is 10 times the income received by the typical person in our world. Again, the numbers can, be, can say different things, but basically it goes like this. If your family, if your household income is $52,000 or more per year, then you are in the top 1% of the greatest earners, the wealthiest people in the world. Median, not average, but median worldwide income is less than $2,000 per year. Can you imagine living on $2,000 per year? There is a lot of want. There's a lot of poverty in our world. And there's a lot of poverty right here in America, too. Now, I'm not talking chiefly about physical poverty, although that is certainly a problem and a growing one in our nation. I'm talking about the spiritual poverty of our nation. You know, Americans 
tend to be very materialistic and think of the physical things first before they ever think of spiritual matters. It's so easy for people to focus on the things that they have and the things that they want. They think about their bank account, their portfolio, their car, their home, their next vacation, just ahead to the weekend, and spend precious little time pondering God's truth and his gift of salvation in Christ. For many in our nation, church is just sort of this traditional place that you go to to get baptized and married and buried. And that's about it. You don't go there for much of anything else. And, and by the way, the Christian faith, well, that's just one fish in a big sea that is filled with all kinds of religious opinions. And who can say what is right? There's a lot of talk in America and around the world these days about spirituality. But I would have to say that, by and large, the land of the free is spiritually bankrupt. And here's the thing. If we do an honest audit of our own hearts and our own lives, we're going to find that, by nature, we are no better. Because we often get caught up in the same materialism, the same worldly greed and spiritual indifference as our countrymen. We, too, had this giant debt piled on top of us, the debt of our guilt, the debt of our sin, and there's no way that we can pay it off, nothing that we can do to settle up with our God. And so he has every right to send us to that eternal debtor's prison called hell. But he doesn't. And here's why he doesn't. Because as Paul tells us a little earlier in this same letter, God is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. And so he doesn't foreclose on us. In fact, he does something utterly unexpected. Just the opposite. He uses his own wealth to pay off our debt. He gave up that which was most precious to him, that which was most valuable in the universe. He sent his one and only son to pay off our debt. Now, as you know well, when Jesus was walking on this earth, he was not a rich man. He was born in a barn, as we just celebrated recently. Uh, he didn't have his own home. He had no place to lay his head. Throughout his life, he had to rely on the kindness of others for his basic needs, food and clothing and shelter and whatever. And at the time of his death on the cross, he had literally only his shirt, the shirt on his back, which they also took away from him. And yet, my friends, having said that, I will also tell you that Jesus is rich. In fact, his value is beyond estimation. His perfect life was valuable enough to count in place of every sinner, you and me and the world. And the priceless blood that he shed on the cross is so valuable that it paid for every last sin, yours and mine in the world's throughout history, and his glorious resurrection. Well, that's the guarantee that the debt has indeed been paid in full, that it is finished, that even death itself is done. No wonder the great hymn writer Johann Frank referred to Jesus as Jesus' priceless treasure. Paul tells us what we have through this priceless treasure. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. If you were to go to Washington, D.C., 
and you were to jump the fence into the White House lawn because you wanted to get a closer look at that historic building, you would not get a closer look. You wouldn't get very far at all. The Secret Service would be on you immediately. However, if you thought ahead before you got to Washington, D.C., you called or you went online and you ordered tickets, they would let you in the front door of the White House and you would be allowed to have a personal tour of that historic building. In a sense, my friends, you could say that our Lord Jesus has paid our admission. Without his life, without his perfection, without his holy blood shed on the cross, we sinners could never hope to get close to our God. But covered in Christ's holiness, washed in his precious blood, freed from every stain, we can approach God freely and confidently without fear as friends because the barrier has been torn down. My friends, you see, our God has just filled our accounts to overflowing with the boundless riches of Christ. The boundless riches, Paul tells us. We can't even say how much they are. I like to think of it this way. If you were a miner and you were out looking for uh, precious metals and gems to mine, went into a cave, turned on your light, on your helmet, started looking around, and you saw that the cave you'd just gone into has just veins of precious metals running throughout, and the, the walls are sparkling with precious gems. You'd be very excited. And you'd note that there are a couple of exits leading out of that cave, so you'd, you're curious. You take one, and you go into an even bigger cave with even more veins of precious metals, even better gems, more of them sparkling in the walls. Your breath is taken away, and then you see that there are five exits leading out of this cave, so you take one of those and it's just the same story over and over again. More and better, more and better. This is kind of what happens when we begin to think about the boundless riches of Christ. As we consider one wonderful thing about our Savior, another comes to mind, and then another comes to mind. My friends, there, there simply isn't enough paper in the world to write down all the blessings that our Lord Jesus has won for us. And there isn't a supercomputer powerful enough to estimate his value. In Christ, we are rich beyond imagination. Maybe you've fantasized this way before, of what you would do if suddenly you came into a lot of money. I mean a lot of money. Millions and millions and millions of dollars so that money is pretty much no object. You ever had that fantasy, you know, your long-lost rich uncle whom you've never met suddenly dies overseas somewhere and he leaves everything to you. If something like that happened, what would you do with that money? Well, I'm certain that you would spend some on yourself. You would probably build your dream home, a mansion. I'm guessing that you would buy a car or two, maybe a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or something like that. Uh, you'd probably take a trip around the world. I know I would, first class all the way, right? But I'm sure that you wouldn't just spend all that money on yourself. Your family and friends, your church and charities, they would all benefit from this incredible wealth that you just came into. My friends, think of the inheritance that we have received in Christ. We are fabulously wealthy. 
There is nothing else like it in the world. And this is no fantasy either. This is real. In Christ we are rich. And now it is our joy, it is our privilege to share with others this tremendous wealth. The Apostle Paul spent most of his life doing just that. And by the way, he considered it a great privilege and honor to do so. Because he knew that it was only by God's grace that he was able to be the missionary to the Gentiles. And so it was his life's goal to make that grace, that undeserved love of God, God for sinners absolutely clear. Through his preaching, through his teaching, through his writing, he shone the light of God's word into sin-darkened hearts. He, he traveled thousands of miles and endured all kinds of terrible hardships, all to reveal the mystery of the gospel. By the way, we should remember that the gospel is a mystery. You know, on our own, there are lots of things that we can know about God. We can know from creation, from the world around us, that God is amazing, right? He's wise, he's powerful, he made all of this, he designed it, he uses it to provide for us, so he's generous and he's kind. And we can know from that voice of conscience inside of us that there's somebody out there bigger than us that we're responsible to. There's a God who's holy and who punishes sin. But that's about all we can know about our God on our own. What we can't know is who God really is. What we can't know is how much God loves us. What we can't know is what God did to save us. We can't know about Jesus, in other words, unless somebody tells us. By God's grace, my friends, someone has. The mystery has been revealed to us by parents, loving parents, who brought us to the font and told us about the Lord Jesus, by teachers who faithfully prepared Bible stories and Sunday school lessons, by pastors who preached to us the truth of God's Word, opened to us the Holy Scriptures, by Christian friends who simply invited us to come and learn about Jesus. And all of this is why Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church and School exists. We are an organization that distributes wealth. We are here to give away the unsearchable riches of Christ. My friends, we should remember that this activity of ours uh, is not something just for others to do. It's something for us to do, each and every one of us. We can certainly sit in the stands and we can cheer on our world missionaries and our home missionaries uh, and our pastors and our teachers and our staff ministers and all kinds of other Christians who do all kinds of ministry on our behalf. We can pray for them. We can, we can give offerings in support of the work that they do and we need to do these things. But this is a personal matter as well. Our God wants each of us to personally tell others about Jesus. And it's not as hard as we sometimes make it out to be because God himself promises to help us do just that. He gives us the most powerful message in the world to share a message that will change hearts. He gives us all kinds of opportunities to share it, to tell others that Jesus loves them. And through it all, he gives us his promise that he will never leave us, but he'll stand beside us. He'll be with us always, blessing our efforts to share that good news. As I look out at the congregation this morning, I see people of varying financial means. Some of you have quite a bit. Some of you maybe don't have quite as much. And yet again, every single one of you is filthy rich 
Your account is filled to overflowing with the blessings of Christ, forgiveness and life and salvation. I guess you could say that makes this congregation a club for rich people. But my friends, it's not a snooty or snotty club, and it's certainly not an exclusive club, is it? No, in fact, our God tells us to invite as many as we can to share with us the wealth of Christ. God grant that we do that for Jesus' sake. Amen.